0: that's right say, say lucas <laughs>
1: the way the way it works is the weight of the success of this show now rests on your shoulders
0: oh fantastic perfect so, excellent no i will pressure. get my bucket with which to carry you <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <clears throat>
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to GeeksCant, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and the host joining me this evening is the mayor of Fort Wayne, Troy Sandler. Greetings and salutations. And then uh, the dwarven DM himself, Troy Sandler. Oh, uh, gosh, Jonathan yes! Chris. <laughs> it wasn't me this time. Thank <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh,
3: fabulous joy. Oh, rapture.
2: Oh, blue clay.
1: Roll
3: Lolly-ho, baby. Lolly-ho. One, 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 that was me. Oh, that was it you? I'm was... oh, sorry. Yeah, do you you do the lolly-ho. Got to
1: go. Lolly-ho.
3: Hey, diddly-ho, everybody. <laughs> My <name is> <laughs> no.
1: no. Exactly it. You messed it up. <laughs> I get to do it's both right. of them.
3: Oh, you do both. Okay, cool. <laughs>
2: yeah. oh, good luck with that That's not a headspace I want to be in. All right, anyway. No, it's not. Listen. But stop hogging the spotlight, fellas. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm stopped. We, we, we've, got, we've got a guest with us t- this evening. Uh, <laughs> Lucas, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Good. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's been my pleasure.
2: Yeah, Zach, I ran oh into
0: you at uh, I, I put out a cattle call because I, I have a little project called Making a Monster where I just ask game designers about the monsters that they make. And I put, a, I put out a cattle call in all of the discords and things. I said, hey, who's going to be at Gen Con? Um, and can give me like 20 minutes of their time. Uh, and Zach was really gracious. And then after we did our interview about, uh, about Morkborg, he was like, Hey, you need to go see this person. And then this person and then this person. And it was fantastic. I had a great time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was really fun. And yeah, you're, you're in danger anytime, uh, anytime you ask for for people to chat with (laughs) because, uh, We've been doing the convention circuit, Troy and John and I, for a while now, and we picked up a lot of friends. So <laughs> it's a dangerous business. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, If you think it's bad at Gen Con, it's even worse when it comes to the Kickstarter <laughs> with a Kickstarter oh, website. Why? Like every other day, there's like a good friend launching a project on Kickstarter. Like, gosh dang it. <laughs> like, like, I guess I'm spending more money now. That's second mortgages. That's what that's that's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's an investment. That's what it is. Um, it's an investment into the future. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So you already kind of like, like, like you broached a lot of subjects there, Lucas, do you mind kind of going more into your podcast for a moment and telling people what they're missing out by not tuning in? Sure. So making a monster is, uh, in-depth
0: interviews, uh, in a bite-sized package with months about monsters with the people who make them, and rarely do I decide what monster is going to be on the podcast. I just get recommendations for who's a good designer to talk to, uh, and they bring me their monster. and These are games that are most mostly uh, it's a pretty representative sample of the tabletop RPG world, and that it's mostly D anD D fifth edition with a smattering and spread of bizarre indie games. Uh, in there. So my first episode was with uh, Banana Chan on uh, her book, Jean Shea, Je, Blood, Blood in the Banquet Hall. And uh, it's been it's been a crazy ride from there. Um, some of the some of the biggest projects on the DMs Guild, like uh, the Uncaged Anthology, um, and some of the some of the brightest projects from the indie scene, like uh, Coyote and Crow. Oh, um, fantastic. So you, sweet, right? Uh, great guy so if you want to get like uh, if you don't want to spend two hours sort of wandering aimlessly around the game um, and you want like this is this is how the game works and and what it's trying to tell me and what it what it values and what it declares as the enemy other um, then making a monster is a great a great way to do that
2: that's incredible
0: yeah, uh, cool.
2: and I gotta I gotta give you a couple of shout outs here so just flipping through some of your recent episodes um, and I see that you chatted with Dylan from Critical Crafting. He's a good friend of ours. I did um, probably, and then uh, the other person I saw, who is one of our our best buds on the show, you chatted with Joe Rasso over at uh, Ghostfire Games. Oh, I fantastic. did. I had worked. <laughs> Joe's a funny story because I had
0: worked with uh, I had worked with him on a couple of DMs Guild projects back in like 2018 or 2019. No kidding. And then I was at Origins in 2022 and I turned around and he was directly behind me and I went, Joe Russo. He's, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: he, he's like he a blister. He shows up. He shows up <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. and He's,
1: he's a sneaky I Canadian. It. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what so projects weird. did you work on him? Did you work uh, on the great Dale or what did you work on with him?
0: You know, I couldn't tell you. Um, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. It fair may enough. also have been that I tried to work with Joe Rosso, and it didn't work out, but I kept in touch.
2: So mm, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Well, uh, you know, I was going to say any friend of Joe is a friend of ours, but that's not true. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's, interesting, <laughs> it's interesting that year with Joe, that you chatted with Joe, because uh, he's 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 awesome and, and yeah, he's, he's really been on cool. the show a lot. So
3: let me ask you a really quick question about the about the podcast. One one more yeah. thing. Is it only is it which is it genre specific or is it all genres or what? Is it like fantasy only? Do you have like oh, Fi Fi? The whole uh, the whole gamut. No, it- any
0: yeah, any game that has uh, my my only requirement for a monster on the show is that it has game statistics applied to it, and that I can mm-hmm. talk to the person who assigned those numbers to the monster, um, which pretty much limits it to the uh, to the tabletop gaming space. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, we've done uh, we've done eldritch horror, we've done science fiction, we've done horror comedy, um, and we've done an awful lot of hard fantasy. And over the last couple of months, we've done. Um, We've done natural histories. We try to bring it towards Book of Extinction. Interesting. So, would you
3: Agreed. consider? Would you have like NPCs lumped into that as like uh, bad guys, so to speak? For like, I'm now thinking that's about
0: a fascinating question. <laughs> these guys, these guys
3: know me pretty well, and I, I espouse the virtues of playing things like Kids on Bikes and Tales from the Loop and stuff like that, where your monster is not always going to be a Velociraptor or an alien or something like that. Sometimes it's the men in the black cars. Right. Oh sure. yeah. They're the those are the those are monsters. You know what I mean? Especially um, the children. Right where they, <laughs> yeah. they anthropomorphize everything and like they project all of their fears at that thing. You know what I mean. So that's, I'm I'm mm-hmm. fascinated by that.
0: Yeah. Um. My from the get go, I wanted to figure out one of the core questions of the show was what in the world const- like what qualifies as a monster. Um. Hmm. And the answer, like if you take D and D's answer, if you go to page six of the monster manual, it's anything with a stat block is a monster nice. right? Um, that, you know, as a, as a technical writer, as a game, as a piece of game design instruction, that's very, very useful, but it's not satisfying when it comes to answering those questions and like getting at why, uh, why we decide to put our fears on this thing or, or why is this thing sort of a worthy uh, conduit for the things that we're afraid of. Um, mm mm-hmm. And it's the reason I still have a show, um, <laughs> it's limping along in sort of an unofficial hiatus at the moment, but it's the reason I still have a show two years after starting it, because this conversation never gets old and people feel very
2: strongly about it, surprisingly mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got a podcast and you you know Joe Rasso and you went to Gincon. <laughs> what so so all those things like what what kind of got you into this side of the industry to begin with, like what's the what's the story, the route that got you into into RPG design?
0: Yeah, um, so let's start from the beginning. In the end of 2015, uh, when I was telling people, uh, you know, I don't think you know, I'm a nerd, but I'm not that kind of nerd. I don't think I'll play D and uh, And then some people finally talked me into it, and I was I was hooked from day one. It's like hmm. this is everything that I want to be doing with my time uh and um from there like i had a i had a really collaborative dm so from my first game very very quickly came my first homebrew uh and then when we transitioned to fifth edition um i discovered the dungeon masters guild and uh you know i just i had um i had an adventure that i tended to use to introduce people to the game um as it sort of worked its way around my friend circle uh you know, in that sort of, in the halcyon days between 2016 and 2018. Um, So I put that on the guild uh, in, in March. And then it was this sort of shocking discovery that like people, people will pay me money for this. Like this is worth, this is, this is worth anything. Um, And that was, you know, that was the beginning from there you go to, uh, from there you get from there I started working on larger and larger collaborations uh, and then I started um, writing for other people's Kickstarters uh, and then in 2020 I, I put it together I was like, okay I'm gonna do this and uh, this is the project that I'm gonna run after so it's been like it's been a snowball out of control uh, <laughs> down this down this hill and I've just been struggling to keep up with it ever
2: since. That's amazing
1: That's uh, really to that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah hmm so so um all right so snowball and the snowball has taken a name at this point right which is book of extinction um yes book of extinction which which we'll, we'll go ahead and say now but then we'll come back to it towards the end but the book of extinction is going on to kickstarter next month um uh, and this is a this is a fascinating book. It's uh, it's 5e, but t- tell us a little bit more about it. Because, um, I mean, I'm looking at some cool images here, and I, I know some things about it, but, but chat <laughs> <needs> <laughs>
0: I'm so excited to tell you about this book. Uh, <laughs> this is two and a half years of my life at this point. Uh, but Book of Extinction is extinct animals resurrected for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, we selected... Uh, Seventy plus uh, animals that have gone extinct, mostly within the last five hundred years, uh, and that number is terrifyingly a terrifyingly small percentage of uh, of the species that no longer exist since circa fifteen hundred. Uh, and what we've done is. Uh, arguably a bad decision on my part, which was to... Um, we, made a, we made a commitment to historical accuracy here. It was important to me Ooh. to tell the story of what actually happened. Partly because I need you to remember this, like I need people to realize that the world is only a few hundred years or in some cases a generation or two away from being wilder and more beautiful than the one we inhabit. Uh, And I need people to know that. And I kind of want them to be a little mad about it. But, also, in a whole lot of these cases, the truth is stranger than fiction. Like these are Buck wild stories that I could not have made up if I tried. And some of them are d and D is all heck. Um, like mm. uh, like uh, trying to um, like trying to keep the Lewana moth from uh, escaping into the rest of Fiji by uh, catching a, <laughs> catching fly larvae and transporting them across about a quarter of the Earth's circumference. Uh, to introduce them as a biological agent to cause the extinction of this, uh, of this crop pest. Um, so we have all of those stories in there. We got a science consultant. We have hundreds of primary sources that are footnoted in the back of the book. Uh, and when we from there, that gives us the right to to reimagine these creatures as uh, animals who would live in a world or, or creatures who would live in a world where magic was a selective pressure. So beasts, if it was just beasts, it would fall off pretty quickly after about challenge rating eight. Um so we uh we souped them up a little bit. We looked at pre-existing myths for these uh for these creatures, the the folklore and the legends they had already inspired. Um we took a look at their stories and decided, you know, just made some inferences about what kind of creature the people would want to see in a Dungeons and Dragons game. Uh and sometimes we just uh you know, sometimes we just uh sometimes we just used mechanics that already existed. Um like uh thing like we took a look at this story. We're like 100%. D and D already has this. This is what it is, straight up and down. No changes necessary. Ship it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we we stack that up. That's the bestiary, and we've added a couple of player options. We have a subclass for every class in the core uh, the core rulebook, of course, um, and we have our uh, race options for players, where every single uh, race or species Um, every single player character that we suggest you play is an endling one of the last of their kind uh, to really kind Mm. of push it home to to give you the chance to embody that uh, that trope um, for for fantasy and science fiction Uh, so yeah and we're bringing it to kickstarter on uh, on march 21st
2: Mm. so okay okay Okay, good, 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 good. We got a lot of good stuff to unpack yeah, here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in the pre-show we're talking about, you know, you've recorded every book that you've read over the past seven years with notes on each one and recommendations or summaries or things. So we know that that this is a you know, that sort of thing is is comes natural or comes native to you. What so <laughs> So I've got to imagine that it, you've got a story or a reason behind, like, getting your imagination caught up in extinct creatures and then feeling like you needed to not just draw inspiration from them, but record the realities of their extinction in this book, right? Like, like this seems like another project that that Lucas kind of took and adopted as his own and, and really, uh, you know, went exhaustive on it.
0: Yeah. Um, So, I mean, first of all, Dungeons and Dragons is already this, like some of my favorite books as a kid were illustrated animal encyclopedias and field guides, like Mm. books that you'd put together, like this kind of bird, this kind of bird has these markings on its wings and its face. And it sounds like this. And you would take that with you when you went bird watching, And um, all of those kinds of things are exactly what D&D was accessing when they made the monster manual. Um, to the point where, when I found my dad's old monster manual, it hit exactly the same, like, uh, like, uh, oh gosh, like dopamine centers in my brain. I was like, "Yes, more animals, <laughs> but this one has tentacles and six limbs that can disappear." And it's very, you know, I was immediately at home. So, uh, yeah, I was looking for like, you know, I was looking at, uh, I was looking at what happened, and I had a sense at the start of this project two years ago that it was. Um, that you could slice the the available stories down this line of extinction. That this this was going to be an important um, an important way of looking at it. And very quickly, I found out that it is like it is out of control to the point where natural historians and conservationists say that we are living in the sixth mass mass extinction uh, s- since the beginning of history, like a uh, a uh, uh, a mass dying out that has only been accomplished. Uh, the scale of which has only been matched by, uh, by, by what killed the dinosaurs, only at six, uh, only at perhaps five other points in the history of this planet. Um, so this very quickly became a matter of urgency to me. Uh, and it, um, you know, it, it sucked me in. Uh, and it's been, it's been, it's been really hard uh, sometimes looking at the, the raw numbers and trying to decide, like, this is the story that gets told and this is the story that doesn't because there's only so many things I can do with a frog uh, or a snail um, or, a, or a catfish. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, this, this isn't a completionist venture. This is uh, kind of the best of and trying to find the things that are going to resonate with a D&D audience to, um, to really bridge those worlds.
2: There is a lot of stuff that's evocative here. Um, you know if you're listening to this on the podcast, you're not seeing uh, John's doing a great job of like flipping through the art preview that that locus provided to us. it like these creatures you can a lot of times recognize what they are, but they've been dN as you said. Um, and I think that like one of your taglines that you've got is, um, the, you know, dead monster manual or something like that. <laughs> yeah. When and- <laughs> in fact, we bought dead monster manual.com. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. Like, like in, in the sense of like, look, calling your book, the book of extinction and, you know, having your, your URL, dead dot com Like, like, it's evocative and it cap it like grabs your attention, I think, right out the gate. But then once you get into it, you're like, oh, it's not just a the idea of extinction. It has uh, an interesting weight to it. It's just one of the things that I lament uh, with frequency when I'm looking at a monster manual is I don't know what these creatures are. You just made up a word mm-hmm. and yeah. and threw a stat yeah. block around it and. Through a cool piece of art on it, but I don't have any connection to that creature. Um, and I've got to learn your lore, right? In order to have any use for that creature, right? Um, but with this, it's like, you're, it, there's 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 a couple of weights that I think that drew me in right away, which is a, a lot of these creatures I do recognize, right? In some form or fashion, maybe not the magical or more <laughs> monstrous aspects of them, but like at the core, they're not unfamiliar to me. And then to see that you kind of leaned into that, that these should feel familiar to you and you're going to put notes in there that kind of help drive it home. Like, like this is exactly the sort, like I backed off of buying a lot of monster manuals a few years ago, just because I'm like, uh, they're getting too out there. They're getting too weird. They're getting, you know, they're people are scraping the edges (laughs) of the, of what's tolerable, but this is, this is like fascinating ground. That's actually a whole lot closer to home that I, I would really like to to, to dive into. So could I'll, I'll
3: echo that. I yep. think that's one of the things. There's a, there's a separation that happens in your head about whenever you're these monsters. We project a lot of ourselves onto monsters, right? But these these creatures, you could take and you could even make adjustments to them, and you could fantasize them even further if you want to in your own, your own campaigns. Or uh, they could be. Like spirit totems or spirit animals or things like that that you incorporate into your games also, but it, but again, it's something that you're familiar with, and you already kind of know at least you know in, in passing the ecology that it came from. Uh, you can and it helps you kind of uh, divest yourself of the stories that kind of come from these as well. Like so, one of the ones that I'm looking at right now, I'll put up on the screen for those that are that are listening at home, the dodo. Yes. yes, I love that the dodo is in here. This that so sucks me right in. One
0: hundred percent, there was going to be a dodo. It wasn't well, even and an it, this is, it feels
3: like you, this should show. This it could totally or should totally be a wizard familiar.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. This is John's <laughs> wizard familiar. <laughs> if John, Dota. if John was a dwarven wizard, no, do- yes it would. Yes no. it would. Scroll down. Scroll oh, down.
3: Right, I'm scrolling down. Here we go. Right, okay. Sorry. Uh, mind of its it, own?
1: No, <laughs> the the galumph. The galumph.
3: Okay, the dodo yeah. speaks a frabjous <laughs> frab- uffish word. Okay, <laughs> never mind. I'll, I'll accept. Frabjous is you cannot That's crazy to me. You a
1: cannot argue word. that that not only not only is this <laughs> your your familiar. It's also your spirit animal. My writing spirit animal.
3: Look, let me tell you something. I always appreciate when uh, when writers have the balls to put words on there that people have to go look up. But <laughs> I, I love that, man. I love it. Like I know what the, I know what those words mean. You, you can figure it out based on on context too. Yeah. Right? Oh but yeah. To me, like I was like we talked about it on the show a dozen times before, but like I love being challenged by words and being introduced to new words and expanding my vocabulary. So uh, I was already sold on the dodo anyway. Just, because it's just, it's just <laughs> a great if, if John, if Stupid John Troy was, a, I had to go and bring up,
1: <laughs> if John was a young wizard at Hogwarts and he was learning to cast a Patronus spell, that's the dodo so that's, hard, baby. It would be it would be a dodo. That's right. That's yeah, right. man. No shame in my dodo
3: game. These things um, are
0: ridiculous.
3: Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great! That's
1: I, I read through that. and I'm like. I got. I'm gonna back this. <laughs> I, I have to back this. I, I, I didn't even look at anything else yet. It's like, <laughs> yes.
3: Oh man, I love. I love the Siberian uh, unicorn. The Siberian unicorn is oh, really yes. cool too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now, mm.
1: do do you have a pronunciation guide for some of these? You know book. what?
0: I don't. Um, but that's a good that's a good point. I'll add it to the notes. Can <laughs> we have a stretch goal, a,
1: a, a stretch pronunciation guide, stretch goal or something. Uh, if you there's...
3: buy if you buy enough of these, I I might think about letting you learn how to
0: actually pronounce them too. <laughs> yes, yes. We will work our way up from from dodo to elasmotherium to batrachokitrium uh, and we'll plateau there and move on.
1: <laughs> you need to have oh, that looked yeah.
0: at. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's actually so, incredibly terrifying and very sad, but it's really fun to say. Uh, you can call it was- BD for short.
2: <laughs> oh man. So chat's given you a lot of kudos for uh, uh, your art in these. Which oh, really thanks, is man. Uh, that's down
0: um, to um, that's down to our artist. His name is uh, his name is also Lucas, which is very confusing for our editor. Um, but you can find him uh, you can find him on Twitter. I think at uh, at Carnero. Let me check that because I got to shout this guy out. Um, he is not by trading. Yeah, it's at Carnero RPG. C A R N E I R O underscore RPG. Hmm. Uh, and he's not by training um a paleo artist or a uh, or a natural historian um so for him for me to come to him and say hey i want you to like faithfully re- reproduce <laughs> uh the new zealand laughing owl can you do that it looks like this uh and then for him to come back over and over and over again just crushing it um with yeah. with just with such with so much flair uh has been incredibly rewarding and he's rewarding and he's been a gift to work with.
2: One of the things that I like and you mentioned this before but I want to kind of draw more attention to it because um so in these previews you got the stat block of the monster, or the creature and then you got next to it instead of having like a lot of description about how this fits into your setting it's information about the the real recorded history of this of this creature mm-hmm. and or there's some like you know if there if there's legends or myths or whatever like tied to them. Is that indicative of the final product? Or are those sorts of things going to be tucked uh, in, in a different section of the book in the final product? Or what is that going to look like?
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty much how we've organized it all the way through. Our Amazing. goal was to give you the real world history and like a stat block for an actual dodo, which is like just a pigeon, but small uh, instead yeah. of tiny. Um and then on the like immediately to show you this is what I w- this is what would happen to it if you put it through this sort of Gaussian blur of uh, magic intensity that gets you to places like the Forgotten Realms. In some cases, we couldn't do that directly. Um, so, for example, the uh, the Rocky Mountain Locust. Um, mm. First of all, D and D doesn't have the resolution to handle anything smaller than a frog. Uh, frogs have one hit point, and they do not do any damage, so the base unit of Dungeons & Dragons, it turns out, is frogs. Uh, <laughs> so we couldn't do anything with the, the Rocky Mountain locust other than represent it as a swarm. Um, and we didn't need to change the Rocky Mountain locust to make it a swarm or a plague of biblical proportions. Uh, this thing nearly halted westward expansion. In the uh, in the 1800s, like we uh, we were talking about how <laughs> um, anything east of the Mississippi is the Midwest, like that might have been the line uh, if this thing had had its way. So uh, for those uh, for those cases and for things like the Elasmotherium or Pleistocene megafauna, uh, some of those have just the one stat block because they only needed the one um, to be like a good fit for Dungeons and Dragons. But in every case where we have a uh, a real historical uh, a historical animal that um, has the opportunity to make it more D and D. That's what we've done, and we've done them right together, so that you can always see mm. um, this is how this is where it came from, and this is the work that we've done to mythologize it.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. That is so cool. I, I am get just from the story you talked about about the the the, the locust. There's inspiration in that story right there. From, from our own real world history, there's 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 something that you could create, if not at least an adventure out of uh, a, a whole arc to a campaign. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I'm
1: imagining that the book is probably absolutely just chock full oh, yeah. of things that, that <laughs> people are gonna like them. pick up on this <laughs> or that. And that's, that's really, fantastic. Like,
3: cool. And so the number of you got the, the number of extent the animals that you've got represented in it are 70, 70 plus. About, yeah, it's right? a
0: it's kind of a it's kind of a wiggly number. Because, um, you know, sometimes we've had more space for them. Uh, but um, if you take them, if you take into account every real world animal that we've used, it's it's north of 70. I, I forget what the exact mm. number is at this point.
2: Uh, <laughs> mm. that's incredible well okay so so I, I I mean we could we could chat for a long time one of the things that popped up to me is it, you you sent us a lot of documents and one of them was an FAQ section and you uh, in there there is a uh, a section on how did you ensure accuracy and I love I love the statements that you put here um, and I thought maybe you would want to talk about that a little bit you say um, this book is perhaps the only thoroughly cited work ever created for fifth <laughs> edition Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you conducted dozens of interviews with educators and researchers to hear from experts. Um, there's a science, a science consultant working, uh, for the center of biological diversity. And then, uh, I mean, that's just, that's a lot. So I guess, I guess it, it, if you don't mind, speak a little bit on the idea, the thing that really drew me to that, like we've talked to people who have used consultants before, but the idea of like a thoroughly cited work, like what does that look like in your, in this product?
0: Yeah, uh, it means uh, basically <laughs> at the at the simplest level, it means about uh, four to six pages of end notes. Um, but it's been <laughs> it's been a pretty incredible journey. Um, one of the first things that I wanted to do with this book was find a way for people to uh, to make a difference with this. I expected if 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 readers are anything, if readers react to this in the way that I did when I was writing it. Um, they're gonna be angry and they're gonna be sad and uh, they're going to be upset. Um, and I, I didn't wanna leave people in that. Uh, it's very hard to talk about extinction, especially in the modern era. Um, so it was really important for me to me to find somebody I could work with to at the very least say, if you're like, this is the person that you should give money to, like these are the people who are making a difference, boots on the ground. Um, like, these are the people standing between the bulldozers and the bees. Uh, and I called up quite a few people. Um, uh, and the the first people to really, uh, the first organization to really latch on to this was the Center for Biological Diversity. And they have an incredible track record of uh, legal and media advocacy for extinct, uh, for endangered species, mostly through the U.S.'s Endangered Species Act, but also abroad as well. Um, and that... Uh, <laughs> um, working with them has been incredible uh if you Mm. right now if you download the monster preview from deadmonstermanual.com uh there's an opportunity to to donate to their work um and that'll run uh at least up until march 21st and then we're trying to figure out how to work that with kickstarter as well so um yeah uh that was where it started um Mm. and then uh The first thing that that told me I I needed to put footnotes on this thing was trying to figure out exactly when uh, some of these animals... extinct like what year or what day did it happen sometimes it's very easy to tell Uh, we were there as in the case of the passenger pigeon and the Carolina parakeet like we know who the last individuals of those species were and we were like people were watching when they died Um, but in the case of things like the ivory-billed woodpecker this is not uh, this is not a matter of scientific consensus it's very difficult to prove extinction because it's it's proving an right. absence, uh, and the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Uh, mm. So that was when, like when I when some of the dates started to get sloppy, or when they came back as different from a bunch of different sources, I, I started to go back and like line out this is exactly where it came from, uh, and that became a core part of the book was uh, getting back into the the primary sources wherever possible. So um, I've read. Uh, journal entries from the 1500s and forward of like the the first people to describe this creature Um, a lot of really old pdfs Uh, um, i've benefited immensely from ohio's um, uh, interlibrary loan system Uh, and um, once i once i was able to bring on a few experts it, it became a snowball of its own so uh, I could tell people, hey, the Center for Biological Diversity is working on this. And then I was able to start calling natural history museums, an alarming number of which are in uh, the uh, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky area. So yep. um, one one notable example was like right after Origins, I went to Richmond, Indiana, to, the, um, to Earlham College and the Joseph Moore Museum to see the world's most complete fossil giant beaver, uh, a specimen that was discovered with an 85% complete specimen, uh, which is unheard of in, uh, in archaeological uh, finds. Mm. And this is a beaver that was over six feet long. It was the size of a black bear. Uh, and you can just go to Richmond, Indiana and see it. And it turns out when you, uh, um, when you take a genuine interest in uh, the work of people like um, uh, Heather Lerner, who's the curator over there. Uh, they will roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, <laughs> so I've had the opportunity to talk to some really, really impressive people who have done some uh, really incredible work in uh, research and advocacy for endangered and extinct animals. And I have learned more than I ever thought I would, and I have done my best to make sure that uh, what I've put in the book is uh, is accurate and that people can follow the trail of my research if they want to, because it's it's a rabbit hole worth falling down.
2: Wow. wow, that's cool. That's really, really cool. Uh, yeah, like, one thing that just keeps popping into my head uh, as you talk about this, and, like, so I have a son who's nine, almost ten, and he, he raids my D&D shelves every once in a while with, with some regularity looking for cool pictures with cool stuff about it, right? Um, and, um, I, like, I... I was not a D and D kid growing up, but I was the animal nerd kid when yes. I was his age. Right. You're my people. <laughs> this, this would have like, this would have like got its hooks into me, not even just as a gaming book, but like a book full of extinct animals would have been like right up my alley of something that I would find fascinating. So like, I think about this and I'm like, I'm just going to put this book front and center on, on a shelf and see if he latches onto it in the way that I would. Cause they would definitely like, and, and then, hearing that it's then, you know, knowing that it's, uh, attempting and working hard to maintain a level of accuracy in the presentation of the creatures, um, is, is, is going to make it even more fascinating. So really, really, really cool. Whew. Ah, uh, goodness. Okay. So that was fascinating. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's launching on March 21st on Kickstarter. Um, where, if, if people are watching this live or or tuning in before March 21st, where do you want people to go to follow the project?
0: Yeah, uh, best place is to go to deadmonstermanual.com. Um, that's going to redirect you to the the, uh, the project's landing page at extinction, um, and that's where you can download. Um, we've got a preview with just a couple of the endling races that we've put together, uh, and if you want to download three of the monsters, the uh, thylacine, the great auk, and the passenger pigeon, um, that's available there as well, and you can take the opportunity to, uh, to support the Center for Biological Diversity. Um, through that link uh, and everything we earn from that is gonna go straight to them. We're not keeping a dime. Um, and if you wanna go, if you like, if you wanna follow me on the research journey, uh, we've got a link to all of the episodes I've done for Making a Monster, including my, uh, including <laughs> my overlong interview at, uh, at the Joseph Moore Museum, where I get way, way too excited about a very big, uh, a very big uh, uh, fossil beaver. <laughs> please, please be mature about that. I was trying to land it. Uh, no, I was no, trying no. to you land it differently. It well. But yeah, <laughs> wrong with beavers and pones on the show—it's fine. Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, what? I'll give you another one. I talked to a, I talked to a guy who uh, I talk like bird. I don't know if you've met many bird watchers. They're also lovely people. To a man, it's a, it's a sort of a beautiful, quiet, contemplative, non-harming, uh, non-harming hobby. Um, and I got I got to talk to somebody who worked uh, who worked on the um, who worked on the ivory billed woodpecker, uh, and was able to tell me like how did he feel when it was declared extinct in 2019 while I was writing mm. this book, uh, or 2020 I think, mm. uh, yeah in 2020 while I was writing this book, um, so yeah uh, it's it's all there uh, how it was put together how it's made and uh, a little piece of it so you can have it. Uh, And get really excited about the rest of it. Because, oh my gosh, some of the best stuff isn't even in the preview. You're going to love it.
2: Oh my gosh, I'm in. Cool. Uh, Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for hopping on. I mean, golly, this was was an absolute delight. (laughs) Well, thanks for having Uh, me, guys. It's been a real pleasure.
1: I got to say, your excitement and the preview stuff, I'm sold. I, I I think I need this in my in my yeah, gaming definitely. library. You ha- I you, believe
0: you sh- do. Sh- sh- you had me at Dodo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. we took two different cracks at the Dodo. It's uh, <laughs> we spent a long that's time right. on that one. That's Great, I love that's it. incredible.
2: Yeah, uh, as Girk says uh, there in chat. Uh, thanks for being an advocate, Lucas. For yes. for for yeah. um, life on the planet. And um, uh, uh, I really appreciate that you put all ton of, ton of, ton of work into this. Um, best of luck to you on this Kickstarter. Um, you know, I don't know Thank what your you, goals and all that are, but I, I wish that you, I hope that you, that you hit all of them and that, that you and, and your teams and your, your partners and your consultants and everybody are very, very thrilled with, with the result that comes out of it.
0: Thank so. you. Yeah, we haven't really set a goal, but the bigger it is, the bigger uh, the bigger a sign this holds up to both the Dungeons yes. and Dragons world and the conservation mm-hmm. world that this matters, and that we care, and that we can do something about it with this game that we love. Um, so yeah, I, I I have I am I'm, I have high hopes for it, and I'm holding them loosely, but uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's like this isn't about what we've put together or, or how pretty we made it like this. This is a book that means something. And it, it, it's been, it's been at times very difficult and challenging to write, but it's been, I think the most worthwhile way of spending my last two years that I possibly could have come up with. So thanks for giving me mm-hmm. a chance to get in deep guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man, it's been our it's pleasure. pleasure. That was awesome. That was,
1: that awesome. was, that was an awesome, awesome time.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Lucas. Good luck. And, uh, We'll see you around.
1: Yeah, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Hope so. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you want to continue the conversation with us, go ahead and head on over to our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And you can always shoot us a message on Facebook to get a link there as well. Uh, while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, give us a like on Facebook. Give us a subscription over here on your podcast feed. Uh, give us a review and some stars while you're at it. That would be awesome. That's the way we get in front of more people. And if you want to watch a live show, we're live almost every Sunday and Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube. And you can find links to all of that right there in the Discord. We'll see you next time.